How Not to Make Disciples. It's probably not the title of any sermon that you've heard or a lesson or Bible study you've been through, but Francis Chan tells us how sometimes we as a church can fall in the habit of not making disciples. Most of you have probably played the game, or at least heard of the game, Simon Says. It's a pretty fun, simple childhood game. It involves three or more people, and one of them takes on the role of Simon. And then they begin issuing commands to the other people, like jump up and down, pat your head. And those commands are only supposed to be followed if prefaced with the phrase, Simon Says. But Francis Chan says it's sometimes weird how in church when Jesus says it's a different game. You don't really have to do it. You just memorize it and study it. He says it's like when a father tells his daughter to go clean her room. He's not going to tell her to go clean her room and then maybe 30 minutes, an hour, two hours later she comes back and she says, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. Right? The dad's not going to be like, oh, that's great. That's exactly what I wanted you to do. She's not going to come back and say, dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. No, that's not going to cut it. And what if she came back to her dad and said, hey, me and my friends, we're going to gather together every week and we're going to study. And we're going to study about what it would look like if I cleaned my room. See, sometimes Jesus says is a totally different game in the church. And if that's not going to work with a father and his daughter telling her to clean the room then why does the church sometimes think that this is going to work with Jesus? See, even Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? See, the scripture is clear that we're supposed to be spreading the gospel message. Matthew 28, we're supposed to make disciples. And we do a really good job of memorizing that. We do a really good job of studying. All of those are good, but too often it stops there. And we fail to actually put it into action. We neglect to actually do it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, we might be good at Simon Says, but sometimes we struggle with Jesus Says. And I think the passage that we're going to look at today, and even the series, Lasting Legacy, we can't leave a lasting legacy if we aren't doers. If we don't put Scripture into action, we're not going to leave a godly legacy. And even today, as we read 2 Timothy chapter 2, we can't put these verses into practice without actually doing something with them. We can't just sit here, listen to the word, hear them, and leave and be successful because then we're only fooling ourselves. So we're going to look at some traits for leaving a godly legacy today. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 starting in verse 1. 
It says, you then, my son, Paul here is talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So if you were here last week when we kicked this series off, at the end of chapter 1, Paul was telling Timothy how some believers in Asia had deserted him. Both physically, they neglected to come visit him and be with him in prison in Rome. But then that same word deserted is the same word used in 2 Timothy 4.4 and Titus 1.14 where it talks about doctrinal apostasy. They had abandoned their faith. They left Paul in prison. And so Paul, here at the beginning of chapter 2, is contrasting it saying, don't be like them, but instead be strong. Be strong in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. And teach. Teach. Teach these things to reliable. Maybe your version or translation says trustworthy. Teach these things to trustworthy people. And these things that Timothy was supposed to be teaching were the foundational truths of Scripture. Because as we continue on the next couple weeks reading in 2 Timothy 4, we're going to see how Paul invites Timothy to be with him in Rome and leave Ephesus. And if Timothy was no longer going to be there, he needed to be investing. He needed to be teaching reliable, trustworthy men who could carry on the message when he was no longer there. And this is something that Paul was very passionate about. Spreading the gospel and protecting the foundational truth. Last week, verses 13 and 14, we read, What what you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit. Guard the scripture that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul had a passion for protecting the truth. Protecting what Scripture said. And I know a couple of weeks ago when I preached, I talked about how the world likes to take things and twist them. They like to take Scripture and twist it, bend it, even just a little bit. So it makes it maybe a little easier for them. It makes it easier for others who aren't followers of Jesus yet. But Paul, just as he encouraged Timothy, I think encourages us to protect the truths of Scripture so that as we disciple people, as we mentor people, they can build their faith on a solid foundation. And when we're no longer here, because none of us live forever, the truth of Scripture can continue on in our world. We need to be like a teacher. We need to be a torchbearer, passing the word to the next generation. And at the same time, we need to be protecting the truth of Scripture. And this is exactly how leaving a legacy works, right? Paul, at the beginning of this chapter, he refers to Timothy as his son. He's not, while it's not his physical son, he's saying, my disciple, my son. Paul teaches Timothy. Timothy now is charged with teaching other reliable, trustworthy men who will then do the same and the same. And that's how a legacy begins. Because our words, people will remember our words, the things we say, whether they're good things or they're bad things. So are we as a church, are we as Christians using our words to pass 
the gospel truth to the next generation, to those around us that we rub, rub shoulders with? And are we protecting the truth found in Scripture? Because that's the first trait of leaving a godly legacy, is teaching future generations. The next trait we find is in that of a soldier. Verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Join with me in suffering. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Here we find two more traits about being a good soldier of Christ. And the first one is that we should endure suffering. Again, this is an echo of something Paul already told Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. This repeated command to Timothy leads us to believe that maybe this is something that he struggled with. Maybe there were some times in his life, there were some instances in his life where he chose not to endure suffering. He chose not to stand up. He chose not to do whatever was right. But we as Christians, we will have hardships and we will have suffering. And Paul encourages Timothy and he encourages us to endure those hardships. I think the same thing applies to us in the 21st century today. That sometimes we're more worried about what our friends think at school, what our co-workers will say about us at work, and we choose not to endure the suffering. We choose not to stand with courage, but just fade into the background. And that's not a good trait for leaving a lasting legacy. We need to endure suffering. And the second we see here is that we need to stay focused. We need to stay focused. See, it was the goal of every good soldier to please his commanding officer. And everything that he did and everything that he said, it was to please his commanding officer. Just like a soldier on active duty shouldn't get entangled in the affairs of civilian life, the things happening in the world and neglect his military responsibility, we as Christians also shouldn't get entangled in all of the drama and all of the affairs of civilian life and neglect our Christian duties. Yet we should stay focused on pleasing our commanding officer. But sometimes our focus is in the wrong spot. Sometimes we're worried about the wrong things. Sometimes the wrong things make us upset and angry. And in the grand scheme of things, we're focused on worldly things. And we're not focused on Christ. So, do we stand firm or do we get entangled in the affairs of civilian life? It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews, some say, Paul say, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. What are our eyes fixed on today? Are they the things of the world? Or are they fixed on Jesus? Because as a good soldier of Jesus, we should be f fixed. We should be focused on him and pleasing our commanding officer. See, if we want to leave a godly legacy, we need to teach others. We need to pass the word on. 
We also need to endure suffering and stay focused on pleasing our commanding officer. And next we see Paul suggest we should have the self-discipline of an athlete. 2 Timothy 2, 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Paul uses this image of an athlete quite a bit in his writing, and here he uses it to illustrate how living a life of Christian service, being a disciple of Jesus, takes devotion and it takes stamina. First Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8, some of you might be encouraged by this, it says, have, have nothing to do with godless smiths and old wives tells, rather train yourself to be godly. Here's some of you might be encouraged. For physical training is of some value, just some. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, as a professional athlete, maybe you watch the Olympics and hear some of their stories. They don't just show up the week before, jump in the swimming pool, break out their running shoes. But being a professional athlete, it's not something you do in your spare time. But you commit to a strict training, a strict diet. It takes 24-7 commitment and dedication. And it requires self-discipline, something Paul is emphasizing here. And the same thing is true for Christians. Following Jesus isn't something you just do in your spare time. When it's convenient, it takes self-discipline. It takes devotion. It takes stamina. It's everything that you do. It should consume you. And if we want to leave a godly legacy, we need to be like an athlete with self-discipline. Lastly, we see here in verse 6 that it requires hard work. It says, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Being in the Midwest, chances are you know a farmer, you're related to a farmer, or you are a farmer, right? And farmers work hard. In fact, a recent study showed that 56% of farmers said they spend between 10 and 14 hours every day on the farm. And 17% said that every day they spend more than 14 hours on the farm. Farmers work hard, and there's a lot of time, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of finances that go in to being a farmer. And the reward is not immediate. You don't go plant in the fields and the next morning come out and harvest right? It takes a lot of time working and preparing the soil, but it's not pointless because when harvest season comes, all that hard work and diligence pays off. Again, the same is true for us as Christians. As we work to sow seeds, as we work to spread the gospel, it's not pointless And we might not always see the results of our effort the next day. Sometimes we might not see them at all because the person that we're working with, the person that we're discipling, the person that we're mentoring moves away. And it might be disheartening because we didn't see the harvest. But 
just as a soldier has thoughts of victory, and just as an athlete has hopes of a crown and the farmer anticipates the harvest, so we as Christians can be very certain that after living a life of Christian service, after leaving a godly legacy, there comes the joy of heaven. It's not pointless, but it takes hard work. Paul wraps this section up in verse 7 by saying, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. He's just thrown all these metaphors and analogies at Timothy and says, Meditate on this, think about this, and the Lord will give you insight. One commentary says that about this passage, Paul gives traits that believers need to demonstrate their service for the Lord. The first is faithful skills of a competent teacher. Second is the willingness to suffer and the choice of priorities of a soldier. Third is the discipline of an athlete. And four is the hard work of a farmer. See, Paul demanded excellence in the pursuit of living a Christian life, and he tolerated no images of mediocrity for the believer. See, it's these traits that if we put them into action, if we do what they say, if we just don't hear it, if we do what Jesus says, then we'll leave a godly legacy. As we continue reading, we see that Paul gives us several motivators for leaving a godly legacy. Verse 8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant from David. This is my gospel. Such a short and simple verse. But I think it can be the greatest, or should be the greatest motivator for us as Christians. Jesus Christ. He came to this earth, was crucified, killed, murdered, put in the tomb. But he no longer is there because we serve a living God, something that no other religion in the world can lay claim to, and that should motivate us to share the gospel message. That should motivate us to leave a godly legacy because we serve a living God. Our God is greater. Our God is higher. Our God is stronger than any other. Jesus Christ, when we have a proper understanding, when we let that sink in, it should motivate us. It should excite us to spread the gospel. Sometimes as Christians, maybe we forget about that. Maybe we've grown up in church for so long and we hear it and we're like, yeah, Jesus is alive. I know we have Easter every year. That's great. But if we stop and let that truth soak in and meditate on that, if we have a proper understanding of Christ, it motivates us to spread the gospel message. It motivates us to leave a godly legacy. We won't be here forever. We have a start date and we'll have an end date and we'll be gone. But the things that we teach, the things that we share can live forever. Next, we see that the goal of Paul's suffering should motivate us to leave a godly legacy, motivate us to spread the gospel. Verses 9 and 10 say, For which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul 
Sid said, is writing this letter to Timothy in a prison cell. Because in the year AD 64, Rome was set on fire. And Nero, at the time, had blamed this on the Christians. And so he started rounding up all the Christian leaders, arresting them, throwing them in prison, putting them on trial, and executing them. And Paul, as he writes this, he knows what is to come. He knows what's going to happen. And even though he's chained physically in a prison cell, he says that the word of Christ can't be chained. Nothing can keep the word of Christ from spreading. He could still write. He could still pray. He could still share with the people around him. He could still encourage others, like we read here in Timothy, to spread the gospel message. The gospel cannot be chained. So how much more can we do as believers who aren't chained in a prison cell? We have the freedom to get up and walk to wherever we want. How much more can we carry on this effort that Paul had being chained in a prison cell? And in the face of death, he never gives up because he had a proper understanding of Christ. It motivated him to continue to share the gospel. It motivated him to leave a legacy. And lastly, we see that the certainty of reward motivates us to leave a godly legacy. Verses 11 through 13. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And this is what it all boils down to. Galatians 6, 7. We reap what we sow. You will harvest what you plant. How we live our life has an impact. One of my professors in Bible college, Mr. Reese, sums it up like this. He says that Paul ends this faithful saying with an extreme warning as well as a solid hope. There is warning that we may fail, but there is also a promise that in spite of everything, Christ will be faithful. Jesus will keep his promises about rewarding those who remain loyal to his calling, and he will keep his promises about punishing those who deny him. Great hope and great warning. There's certainty of a reward or punishment, and that motivates us to live a life of Christian service. It motivates us to leave a godly legacy. There was a man by the name of Sir Nicholas Winton. He was born on May 19, 1909 in London. His parents were German Jews who had moved to London two years earlier, and the family eventually converted to Christianity, and Nicholas was baptized. In his teen years, he spent time volunteering at a bank, and eventually he became a stockbroker. He joined the Royal Air Force in World War II, eventually married, and had three children. Nicholas Winton died on July 1st, 2015, at the age of 106. We all have a start date and an end date. And maybe you've heard the saying, there will be two dates on your tombstone, and all of your friends will read them. But all that's going to matter is that little dash between them. 
So let me tell you a little bit about Sir Nicholas Winton's dash. When he was a stockbroker in 1938, Hitler's troops began to march into Czechoslovakia. In his gut, he knew that something evil was underfoot. He quit his job as a stockbroker and began to charter trains, raise money, and transport Jewish children out of Nazi-occupied Czechoslovakia. Because of him, 699 Jewish children escaped what would have been imminent death in a Nazi prison camp. Vera Giesing, one of the 699 children who escaped, remarked, he did not only save 99, he saved a generation. We've had children and grandchildren, and because of him, there are about 7,000 of us alive today. See, we can leave a legacy like that. We can leave a godly legacy. Because when we invest, when we disciple just a few people, and they in turn go and invest and disciple a few more people, when we pass away, when we're no longer here, our godly legacy can and will live on because the gospel cannot be changed. It was June 1964 when a few people gathered in a home to talk about starting a church. It was decided that just over a week from when they met, they would have their first service. And there were 18 people in attendance, founding members and their children. And while none of the founding members were with us today, their legacy lives on. Because Northside Christian Church in Warrensburg, Missouri, is a growing congregation who has impacted thousands, thousands of people around the world, people who come here for school, people who come to us because of the military base. And this church has invested in them. And they've gone to many different countries around the world. And it's all because of these people in 1964 in June decided they were going to do something they weren't just going to be hearers of the word, but they were going to do something about it. And they started the church. And now we, as believers, are riding the coattails of their legacy. And it's our turn. We all have a start date. We all will have an end date. The question is, what kind of legacy will we leave? Let's stand and see.